you'd like to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 14, uh, we're going to look at a very famous story uh, about a certain walk. Uh, the title of my message is Walking by Faith, and I suppose there's a lot of famous walks in the scriptures. There's the uh, story of Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day with God. There's, there's the story of the children of Israel who walked across the Red Sea. And then, of course, there's the walk that Joshua and the army took around Jericho. Uh, but today, I think to me, we're going to look at what is the most famous walk in the Bible, the walk that Jesus took with Peter on the water. Matthew chapter 14. Uh, this story, although it's familiar, uh, oftentimes when I go back, it uh, d reveals itself in new ways. And so it's only the scriptures that are infinite that can do that to us, right? And so I would encourage you, even though you've probably heard this story before, uh, to try to see it with fresh eyes, because it is intriguing. Not only is this a, a rather amazing miracle, but uh, there's also a pattern for discipleship in this text as well that we can all learn from. Now, if you've been walking on water since the day you were born, I suppose that you can uh, check out of this message. But for those of you who, uh, like me, have struggled to take steps of faith, who uh, you know, have started some things that, that you didn't finish, who, who intended some things that you didn't execute, who, who believed some things but then started to doubt, well, then this message is for you. Uh, most of us like to be where it's comfortable, where, it, where it's familiar, comfortable surroundings, like a, you know, a familiar culture, familiar language. But, but then sometimes God calls us outside of our comfort zone into the realm of, of the unknown. And on the one hand, that's exciting, but on the other hand, that, that could be really hard because it, it requires a lot of mental and emotional and spiritual effort. It requires us to stretch our faith. And it's like that song Oceans says, you call me out onto the waters, the great unknown, where my feet might fail. And so let me just start by asking you this one question today in our sermon. Where in your life is God calling you to walk by faith? Where is God calling you to walk by faith? Where's that new place God is calling you? Where's that unfamiliar territory that that God's asking you to go to in your life. For, for some people, uh, it's their addiction, and God says, I want you to leave that and follow me and be set free. For, for other people, it's, it's your religion, and God says, I want you to find out that it's not a religion, it's a relationship with me, and I want you to leave that and find me. For other people, it's a different calling. Maybe it's a calling toward a ministry. Uh, for other people, it's a relational type of calling, and there's someone in your life that you need to forgive, and it's time to pursue them. Uh, for other people, it's the other end of the conversation, and, and you need to have a confrontation uh, with someone and have a difficult conversation, and God is calling you uh, to take that step of faith. I don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart, but I trust that he is, and the question I just want you to ask yourself between you and him is that question, where in your life is God calling you to walk by faith today? What's amazing about this passage is when we do step out in faith, God shows up in incredible ways. That's what we're going to see, so let's pray before we begin our time in the Word. Lord Jesus, we invite you to speak today with the same kind of specificity with which you spoke to Peter when you told him to come. We invite you to speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Matthew 14, verse 22 begins with this opening scene. Take a look. It says this, immediately... Uh, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. 
Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Our opening scene takes place on the Sea of Galilee. Much of Jesus' ministry takes place on the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful freshwater lake set in the fertile region of northern Israel, nestled in the hills. The Sea of Galilee is nearly 700 feet below sea level. It's about eight miles wide and 12 miles long from north to south. In some places, the sea plunges to depths of 200 feet. It's a beautiful freshwater lake, a source of the fishing industry back then and still today. There's only one problem. Because of its geographical location, it is made subject to sudden and violent storms. An east wind comes and drops cool air over the warm air rising from the sea. That sudden change produces a surprising yet furious storm result in a very short period of time. So for them, the sea was both beautiful but also a symbol of fear and chaos. Let's go back to our scene. There's some bad weather. It says that they're buffeted by the waves and the wind was against them. Mark, who also records the same story, says the disciples were straining at the oars because it was so difficult. Notice in verse 22, however, that it says Jesus made them go out to the lake, to the other side. How much choice does it sound like they had there? Jesus, the Savior of the world, the protector, the provider, is sending his disciples into a storm. I emphasize that because somebody once told me, you know, Pastor Dave, the safest place to be in, your whole, in the whole world is, is in the will of God. Safest place to be. Do you ever read this story? Because it seems like God is sending his disciples right into a storm. Didn't he know? You're telling me he made them get into a boat that he knew was headed into turmoil? There are difficulties in our lives, and I want you to see this right here at the beginning because anytime there's a difficulty, you might think this is the devil. But according to this passage, that's not necessarily the case. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because something is hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Now, sometimes we cause our own storms by our own dumb decisions. Remember Jonah, that's what happened there. Uh, so sometimes we are the reason for the storm. How many of you have been in a storm because of your own dumb decision? Yeah, okay, it's not just me. Good, thanks. Appreciate the help there. That's not what's going on here, though. They're in the storm because Jesus sent them directly into this storm. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not of God. Just because it's hard to confront that difficult person in your life doesn't mean God's not calling you to do that. Uh, married people, just because your marriage can be difficult sometimes doesn't mean God does not want you to work it out. Uh, parents, just because your teenager can be a handful, that doesn't mean that we give up on them. Teenagers, just because school is, is hard, that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to finish well. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not of God. This is so key. Jesus sends them into this difficulty and it's not to punish them, it's because sometimes it's in the storm that we learn our most significant lessons of faith. The scripture says this, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. But don't forget the first part. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yes, the Lord delivers, but still the afflictions come and it's not always easy. There are storms, there are troubles. Let's move on. Verse 25 says, shortly before dawn, literally it reads the, the fourth watch, which 
culturally back then was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. That's pretty early. When's the last time you saw 3 a.m.? They're out there. They're working hard. And Jesus is praying. For hours, he hasn't gone to bed yet, and it's somewhere between 3 and 6. Let's say it's around 5. There he is. And it says this, uh, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. Now, I want you to notice right here that even though they don't cry out in faith, even though they cry out in fear, what you see here is that our God still listens and still cares and still comes when we cry out to him. Even if it's in fear, not faith. God is a loving, compassionate, merciful Savior. And, and like a good, loving father, if, if he hears the sound of his child in danger, it immediately gets his attention. And so the Lord Jesus comes. And, and, and so it says in verse 27, but immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, you have to really read this in the original language to see what's going on here. The English phrase, it is I, doesn't quite capture it really that well. The most literal way to translate this phrase is like this, take courage, I am. Uh, do you remember when Moses had an encounter with a certain bush and God from heaven uh, told him, go ahead and tell Pharaoh that I am has sent you. This is the same exact language, ego, a, me. And I want you to remember that the central question in the Gospel of Matthew is that question, who is Jesus? And there's been a lot of confusion about this question, right? His family says maybe he's lost his senses. You know, the disciples say, who, who is this that the wind and the waves obey him? Remember, John the Baptist says, are you the one or should we wait for somebody else? And, and remember, the, the spiritual leaders are saying, who, who does this person think he is that can forgive sins? Who is Jesus? Now, according to this verse, what, what is Jesus' answer to that question? Jesus is the great I am, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the God who was, who is, and who is to come. It's like that song says, you were the word at the beginning, one with God, most high. Your hidden glory in creation now revealed to you our Christ. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King, the great I am. This same Jesus comes to them in their fears, says, take courage, like he's offering them something. Here, take this, take courage. And it goes on to say in verse 28, here's what happens. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I just want you to think about Peter's words. I know you heard this story before, but just think about this question. I don't know about you, but if I needed a sign from Jesus, this is not the sign I would ask for. <laughs> if I needed a sign from Jesus, I would ask him, Lord, can you please calm down the storm? Right? Can I get an amen from my brothers who love safety <laughs> and comfort? Lord, I would like some improved conditions around here right now. Thank you very much. But what Peter asks him for is actually a command in the middle of his storm. Lord, if it's you, give me a command. Tell me to come. 
Not if it's you, promise this will be over quickly. Not if it's you, promise me you're gonna get me out of this. Not if it's you, promise me everything's gonna be well. No, he says, if it's you, give me a command. Now that's a really good prayer when you're right in the middle of the storm. Lord, give me a command that I need to obey here. And Peter's request is so rich because basically he's asking if he can imitate the Savior. Peter's saying, Lord, I want to be like you in this storm. I look, I, when I'm in here in the storm, it's, it's, I'm kind of panicked. When I look at you, it's like you're transcending the storm. When I look at you, I, you're not even affected by it. And so Peter says, Lord, you said that Every disciple, when he's fully trained, will be just like his teacher, and, and I want to be just like you. Make me like you. This is a really good prayer when you're in the storm. This is touching the very heart of God. He's interested most of all, not in my comfort, but in conforming me to the very image of Jesus Christ. He's interested in my holiness more than my, my happiness. The scriptures, Howard Hendricks used to tell us, are not written to make you a smarter sinner. They are written to make you more like the Savior. Peter says, I want to be like you. That's the prayer in the storm. One time in my life, I, I remember I went bungee jumping, and a, a few of my teenage friends, my dumb teenage friends, decided to, together, you know, we got this idea, hey, let's go bungee jump, yeah, let's go, so we go over to Action Park, remember Action Park in central New Jersey, I think it was well known for like the most accidents at a theme park in the world, okay, Action Park, and so uh, we go up there, and that didn't stop us, and we decide, yeah, let's go bungee jumping, and, and uh, we get up to the top of this thing, and there we are, and I'm trying to muster up the courage, but I'm looking over the edge, and I'm going, man, it is really, really, really far down here. You want me to just step off? I mean, it looks like death. I don't just step off when there's nothing to step on, and we're up there. We're all trying to, you know, uh, you know get ready for this, and then what, what they had up there were, were these these. These, these harnesses, and so we, we all slip on these harnesses, and we, we get in there, and then, then there's this part in the middle of the, the harness that's, that hooks you in, and uh, we're there, and we're terrified. I'm going, whose stupid idea was this? I don't want to do this. There's stairs right there. Why jump, you know? And um, one, one of the instructors, after we're all set, goes, is anybody scared of heights? You know? And I'm like, who's not scared of heights? We're all scared of heights. This is stupid up here. Why are we doing this? And and, uh, but one of my friends goes, not if I can trust this harness. That's what Peter knew. See, that's why Peter says, Lord, if it's you. See, that's why Peter asked that question. Lord, is it you? You see that there? Peter knew that there was, yes, there was a high likelihood of him sinking. But, if it was the Savior, he then knew there was a, highly, high, a higher likelihood of the one who controls the wind and the waves being able to catch him, if it's you. See, this is the first step in walking by faith. We call this the step of confirmation, discerning God's call. This takes wisdom. This takes prayer. This, this takes godly counsel. To know when it's really Jesus who's calling you. Have you ever had a circumstance in your life where you felt like God was calling you to do something, uh, but you go, Lord, 
is this you? Because I gotta know if this is you. I give you a very personal example in my life. I, I strongly felt God was calling my wife and, and family and I to, to pastor a, a rather small church here in New Jersey like 11 years ago. And that meant re resigning my perfectly good job as a public speaker and, and selling my house and moving my family. And, and, and there was some significant steps of faith involved with that, especially because this church needed a revitalization. And so, um, you know, it was not as healthy as it could be, and it was, it was hurting in, in a few ways. And so to be honest with you, in the natural, uh, it did not look like the wisest decision in the world. Now, to, to be frank, it kind of seemed a little nuts. But we began to pray, and we began to do some fasting, and we began to try to discern this same exact question, and this was our prayer. We're going, Lord, is this you? Is this you? Because we gotta know if this is you. If this is not you, we don't wanna go. So we're praying and praying and praying, and, and the Lord's starting to really confirm this call in a variety of different ways, but there, there was just one problem left. Our house was not selling. And you remember back in the fall of 2008 when the market crashed and everybody's house was like not selling? That was when we were trying to sell our house. So nine months and 28 showings later and no offers, it finally came time for moving day. And we're going, what are we going to do, pay the mortgage from New Jersey? I, I mean, this just doesn't seem right. So all my friends were there. We're packing up the place and boxes everywhere. And, and then I get a call. Real estate agent, somebody wants to see your house. I'm like, today, 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 there's like a moving truck in the driveway. Says, I'm desperate, order, you know, offer me whatever, whatever I want, whatever you want. There's, there's boxes, there's dressers pulled out, there's dust behind there I have not touched in 10 years. Today, okay, you want to come today? Come today. So they come and they look at the house and, about an hour later, because the table was already packed in the truck, I'm signing the contract on the kitchen counter with my wife in tears, going, Lord, you could have sold this house any day you wanted to. You're just showing off now today. <laughs> this is you. It's, it, it, was, it was a confirmation of his call. It's like when you're walking in the wilderness and you see a mark on the tree. It's like, yeah, that's the right path. That, to me, that was the mark on the tree. Lord, this is you. And what God did in that church is amazing. People getting saved and baptized. I, I can tell you the whole story later, but it was so cool what God decided to do. And it all started way back confirming his call. Now, I don't want to go too far here. I know some people can like get outlandish with this and like look for weird kind of signs from God. I'm not telling you to be weird. I'm just saying God will confirm when he's trying to lead you in a certain way. David Livingstone was a very famous missionary in Africa, and, and he said it this way. He said, without Christ, not one step. With him, anywhere. Without Christ, not one step. With him, anywhere. So Peter says, if it's you, give me a command. And astonishingly, the Lord Jesus Christ grants his request with this one word. Come. Come. He said, come. Like, come out to the water with you? Yes, it's time for step two. It's time for the step that we call application. It's time to put your faith into action. It's time to put your faith to work. Time for the rubber to hit the road. This is a moment of decision right here for Peter. And he's got to make this choice. Will he trust God or stay in the comfortable boat where it's safe? Now, how, if Peter did not step out, 
Was he ever gonna know if this was actually possible? How, if he didn't step out, would he ever know the power of Jesus in this situation? How, if he never stepped out, would he know the power of God in his life? Here's how he found out, and here's how we find out. You gotta step out to find out. Can we say that together? You gotta step out to find out. The only way to find out is to step out. Do you have the faith to step out? As the missionary once said, expecting great things from God, attempting great things for God. William Carey, that was. The choice Peter has is, will you stay in the boat where it's comfortable, or will you step out in faith? Will you, will you trust in that harness that the Lord Jesus is giving you right now? Will you place your... You know, I was talking to a, a climber this week who let me borrow this, and um, he was explaining how it works with two people outside, not like at the gym, I mean like at a real mountain. So they, you know, they're there and they're working together. And, and one guy goes up a little ways and then uh, puts a stake in, and then another guy takes a turn and they kind of zigzag their way up the mountain. And he said there's, there's a communication technique that everybody knows about. When you're about to take a step and you're not sure if, if, if it's dangerous to take that step, you always ask your partner, do you got me? And the only appropriate answer to that question before you step is what? Yes. yes. He said, if your partner doesn't say yes, number one, you don't step. Number two, you never hike with them again because it should always be yes. They should always help you. They should always be ready. In, in this story, it's, it's like the Lord, the Lord Jesus is talking to Peter and Peter is asking them this, that question. Do you got me? And Jesus says, yes. Take the harness. And so Peter, Peter comes. Now, this is particularly difficult because it's hard to step out in faith if you really love your comfort. And I love comfort. I, I love sitting down on my couch like last night and watching the orange men lose to the blue devils. I, you know, it's, it's fun. We sit in front of our screens and our devices, and we, in this culture, we, we like comfort. We like to feel safe. The only problem with that, well, there's two problems with that. A complete commitment to comfort is actually very dangerous because we actually need challenges and, and we need risks to grow. But the second reason why it's dangerous is because in this story, where was Jesus? Was he in the boat? It, think about that. Jesus was out there. Jesus is not saying from behind him, go over there. No, he's saying, hey, I'm out here. If you want to be close to me, it's over here. After your step of faith, there's an intimacy, but it, it's over here. And this is where you're going to find me. I'm out here. I'm not over there in your safe boat. I'm over here. Come and be with me. The point here is there's this relationship with the Lord Jesus that, that grows richer when we take steps of faith. Now, now let me just ask you that question again. Where in your life is God calling you to take a step, one step? Now, you might be thinking about a step going, I don't know about this step because there's consequences to this step and things might go wrong, things might go bad. I don't know if it's a good idea, but what I would suggest to you is it's actually a really bad idea to disobey God's call. One of my favorite pastors in the world is Charles Stanley. And one time he came to speak at the seminary that I attended, and he spoke on Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know that passage. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He will direct your path. And he had this one point in the message, and he repeated it like a hundred times, so I've never forgot it. 
He said, after 60 years of ministry, the number one principle I've learned, the number one thing you need to know, the number one thing I wanna tell you guys is this is just one truth. Here it is, ready? Obey God and leave the consequences to him. Obey God and leave the consequences to him. I have never forgotten that. Now what I want you to notice about that particular truth is there is a posture there that you take. And the posture is not, God, I will obey you as soon as I eliminate all the risk, as soon as I figured out all the details, as soon as everything's covered and all the bases are covered. I'm, I'm gonna obey you as soon as I'm sure it's all gonna work out. No, sometimes that's not possible. Sometimes you don't find out till you step out. You, you find out how the details are gonna work out on the other side of the step of faith. That's why it's called faith. As Stanley said in, in that message, I remember he said, if God tells you to go crash into a wall, you start running and trust him to make a hole. Obey God, leave the consequences to him. Where is God calling you today? Will you be like Peter who has this courageous moment, step out on the command of his Savior? Take a look, it says this. Then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now Peter was not walking on water because human beings can't walk on water. Peter was walking on the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And something amazing happens when you obey his command on the other side of fear, on the other side of that, like when, when I finally jumped off the cliff and went bungee jumping, maybe for a couple seconds I was screaming like a little girl, but after that, it was like bliss. It was like, man, I'm free, I'm flying, it's awesome. You know, and that's, that's such a picture of walking by faith. I, I realized I was scared for nothing. And here I am walking by faith and I, that's where it's at. That's where living is. And Peter's doing good as long as he's focused on the Lord Jesus. But then, then something happens to Peter, it happens to me, it happens to you that collapses his faith. Take a look at verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was what? Afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, I have a problem. I have a problem with preachers who beat the heck out of Peter in this passage. I disagree. Yes, he tells him, you of little faith. Okay. But it's not that Peter had no faith. Jesus uses the term no faith to describe other people in the Gospels, like Matthew chapter 13, verse 58, describes a bunch of people who had no faith. Jesus doesn't use that phrase here. He uses the phrase little faith, but correct me if I'm wrong, isn't a little faith better than no faith? It's not that Peter's faith wasn't quality. It's not even that Peter's faith wasn't strong enough. It's not even that Peter didn't have the right object of his faith. It's that his faith was little in duration. It's not that he wasn't trusting. It's that he stopped trusting. And the question is not how come he... The question is, why did he stop believing? And the answer is right there in the text, isn't it? The reason he stopped is fear. He was afraid. Peter was doing great. Then he saw the wind, saw the waves, maybe felt the spray, maybe heard the sound, maybe, maybe the sail was cracking, maybe, maybe there was a roaring of the sea there, and he became afraid, and he began to wonder, what, you know, like you and I would, what, what am I doing out here? Fear 
will sink you. Now, it's really interesting when you think about the psychology of fear. If you, if you talk to doctors, they will tell you that there's this part of your brain called the amygdala that gets triggered with any sort of, uh, you know, confrontation or any, any kind of danger, and then you go into, like, fight-or-flight mode. And then when you're there, it's, like, total. Like, you can't think about anything else. You're just, you're, you're, you're just overwhelmed with fear. And the Scripture says the solution to that is, is actually a little counterintuitive. It says the solution to fear is, is actually love. And doctors will say there's a similar thing that happens in the brain when, when you experience love, that it, just like fear is total, love is, is total. And so John says perfect love casts out that kind of fear. And if we will just focus our attention not on our fears but on the love of God, on the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God, our fears begin to dissipate. That's why the Bible says, whom shall I fear? If God is for me, who can be against me? What can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? The answer to our fears is the total love of God. And when Peter focused his attention on the loving Savior, he was doing fine. As long as he kept his eyes fixed on Jesus, he was fine. As long as he kept his eyes fixed on the, the word of the Lord in faith, he's doing fine. As long as he's walking toward the Savior, he's doing fine. And so that's the question when we're in our storm or when we're walking by faith, where will we fix our eyes? Will we keep coming and keep our eyes focused on the Lord Jesus or will we begin to look around? Hebrews 12 says this, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, very personal, fixing our eyes, not on our circumstances, not on the wind, not on the waves, not on the possibilities, fixing our eyes on one thing, on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's the choice we have, to fix our eyes right there. Will you look at your circumstances or will you fix your eyes on the Savior like the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So I, I got a problem with preachers who really give Peter a hard time here. I, I wanna rethink that with you. Is this really a story about Peter and him failing? What about the other 11 dudes who never got out of the boat? <laughs> you know, these spectators, they love to criticize from the sidelines. The loudest boos come from the cheapest seats. Ah, what are you trying? It's not so hard. Yeah, that's easy for you to say from the couch, man. It's really easy to be Monday morning quarterback. It's something entirely different to stand in the pocket and take the hits, isn't it? I love this quote from Teddy Roosevelt. He says this It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Yes, Peter failed, but he was the first to fail. And when he did, immediately he cried out to the Savior, the name above all names, and he reached down and saved him and met him right there. And here's the point. Peter fell, you will fall too. When you do, just make sure you are close enough to the Lord Jesus that he can reach down and grab you. And here's what else Peter learned. 
He learned what it meant to fully rely on God. And he learned what it means when, when we fail to have Jesus still reach down and grab us with his strong arm and save us. Notice what doesn't happen here. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, that was really stupid. Why'd you do that? Don't ever do something like that again. He doesn't turn to the boys in the boat and say, hey, hey, let this be a lesson to you and start up the lecture. See what happens when you act crazy? <laughs> you sink. Should have stayed in the boat. <laughs> Make sure you the rest of you guys fasten your seatbelts and put up the tray tables and don't let any of you guys take a risk like that. No. Immediately, Jesus reaches down, grabs him by the arm, and, and saves him. Failure, I don't think so. Let's just level the playing field here a little bit with a mass confession of failure. If you have ever failed in life in some way, if you've ever said the wrong thing, worn the wrong clothes, been turned down for a job or a sports team, or been rejected in some other way, if you've ever failed vocationally, financially, relationally, or had any spiritual failure of any kind in your life, please raise your hand right now. All right, good. How many of you, you've never failed personally, but it looks like the guy next to you fails quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> the point here is failure is universal. Jonas Salk, the inventor of polio, came up with 200 unsuccessful ways to vaccinate against polio. Somebody asked him, how does it fail, feel to fail 200 times? He said, I didn't fail 200 times. I successfully learned how not to vaccinate against polio 200 times. Was Jonas Salk a failure? No. Was Peter a failure? I think there was 11 other bigger failures in the boat. But nobody talks about them or their failure. They, they just kind of go unnoticed and undiscussed. And we need to learn that lesson here. We, need to, we don't need to pray that we always be protected and safe all the time. We need to pray that God would keep, keep us from the spirit of fear and complacency. We need to pray that we would not stop trusting God after we start trusting God for what he wants to do in our lives. We, we need to put our faith into action. You ever meet somebody where they, they get something and they keep it like wrapped up in the box and they never use it and it's like, I, I just can't mess it up. Like, like, you know, I don't know, a piece of china or something. I, my, I'm not thinking of anything right now. But, you know, our faith is not like that. It's not meant to be wrapped up in a box and, and kept pristine. Uh, sometimes we think, well, I, I got to be careful. I, I want to live a mistake-free life. If that's your goal, that's kind of the opposite goal of Matthew chapter 14, Right? He wants our lives to have this radical flavor to it, marked by trust. One of my favorite quotes of all time is by William Shedd. He says this, a ship in a harbor is safe. That is not what ships are built for. Let's finish the passage. He says in verse 32, and, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Of God. Now let me ask you this question. Why did Jesus wait till they got back in the boat to let the wind die down? I think it's because he wanted to give Peter another chance at this walking on water thing. That's really good news, my friend. That means when I fail, Jesus will not leave me there in my failure. He will not leave you there in your failure. He's not out to shame you. 
He wants you back on your feet, walking in faith again, walking in trust again, walking with him again. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of grace. Now, I love Peter because Peter so much reminds me of myself. He's quick to act oftentimes without thinking about it first. He's impetuous. He's got a big mouth, shoots off his mouth. Maybe prudence would be a better choice a lot of the times, but he doesn't care. He just says it anyway. But this is helpful. It's Peter. Peter's, like a, Peter's like a walking contradiction. He's got these two names, right? Simon and Peter. Simon, the guy who's impulsive and prone to stupid decisions. And then Peter, the guy who's bold and courageous. Do you see his identity crisis? I mean, am I a coward who runs away at Jesus' crucifixion? Or am I a bold preacher who stands up on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people come to the Savior? The answer to that question is both. And God knows how to deal with your dark side. And he loves you when you're on it. And he loves you when you're way off. And he loves you when you get it right. And he loves you when you get it wrong. He loves you when you're standing boldly. And he loves you when you're curled up under the covers. He loves you when you're walking on water. And he loves you when your head dips right below the waterline. He is committed to you. He is your God. He knows you. He knows how to restore you. And he knows how to mold you and shape you into the very image of Jesus Christ. That's what Peter learned. The main point of this passage really isn't about the strength or the weakness of Peter's faith anyway. No, no, no. The point of this passage was to demonstrate the identity and the power of the Son of God and his ability to save Peter and all of us in any and all circumstances because of his unique authority. Did Jesus know Peter would fail? Of course he did. Jesus knows all things. Peter failed in what he set out to do, but God succeeded in what he set out to prove. Look at their response in the boat. For the first time ever, the disciples get it. Truly, this is the Son of God. And, and they, they move on to the final step in the walk of faith, the step of adoration, responding in, in worship. When we walk by faith and God shows up in amazing ways, he does that so that he will get glory in our lives. And we always end there with wonder and worship, God. God, I, I couldn't have even dreamed what you wanted to accomplish here when you told me to step out in faith. And, and it's all about your greatness and it's all about your grace. And that's what Peter learned even though he fell. He learned about the power of God and the grace of God as he put his arm around him and walked him back to that boat. This is a story about the greatness of our Savior and the greatness of his grace. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. Dan Doriani says it well. The moral of this story is not that Peter is flawed because he took his eyes off Jesus. The lesson is that Peter's failure does not matter because Jesus did not take his eyes off Peter. What a story. What a savior. What a walk of faith. Amen. Worship team, would you come? And as they do, let me ask you that question one more time. Where in your life is God calling you to walk by faith? This is the end of the message. And for some of you, I'm sure you've been hearing the Holy Spirit speak to your heart because that's what he does when his word is proclaimed. And you've been hearing, and it, it's like pretty clear in your mind what he's been saying. You have like a specific step of faith that he's calling you to take.
And that's really exciting. You're in the boat, and today Jesus is passing by. And the question that you have to ask and answer is, are you going to take that step of faith with him, whatever that might be? I want to give you the opportunity just to respond between you and him and nobody else. If there's anything I can do to support you taking that step of faith, please, I'd love to. But I do want to help you. I, I, most of all, I just want to pray for you.